Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined as always by Ryan. Following Everton's first home loss to Fulham, in their history as the Toffees fell 2-0 to Fulham at Goodison Park in a miserable performance, Brian. I don't know really how else to put it to kick things off, but over to you for your instant match reaction to that one. I'm, I'm glad to be part of history. Um, you know, I, I know Everton's got to be proud. You know, you have to let them win sometime. And, uh, you know, shooting for Europe, looking for three points. This was definitely the time to do that. Uh, we just got everything wrong. It was absolutely terrible. I wish I had some sort of silver lining or whatever. I don't know. I'm still ticked off about it, even though it's been a while since. I don't know how your thoughts are. I mean, we're going to get into it, obviously, and there's a lot to criticize, unfortunately, but I'm kind of curious your instant reaction as well. I just feel very deflated at this point. It's another, not not false dawn from the entire club, but just a a, a moment after the Spurs victory in the cup where we thought that the team finally showed some fight, showed some heart, and there might be some continuity in that regard, carrying over match to match. And yet, as I believe it was John from DC toffee. So eloquently put it a few matches ago, Jekyll and Hyde. uh, And we saw the other half of Everton today in a listless performance where let's be, let's be real. We got played completely off the park by Fulham. I mean, basically for the entire 90 minutes, um, and, you know, some credit to them for playing well, but also the the you just have to sort of scratch your head at some of the personnel decisions and the, the execution on the pitch by the players today. Yeah, let's get in the lineup right away, because I, I think it it is basically the origination of everything that went wrong today yeah. was the lineup basically was it. I remember when it was announced, I think my first reaction was Christmas tree. Like kind of yeah. with a question mark because I, I think thought we that... tweeted it at the exact same time. <laughs> yeah, Christmas, I, Christmas well, because you're looking at the personnel and you're thinking, okay, number one, Holgate and Godfrey. I'm assuming they were playing together. I, I just immediately I saw that I was like, that's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. I mean, you've got Ben Godfrey who who got torched all year at Norwich, who has been eased into the squad very very well. You know what I mean? I mean, he's been a very effective player for us this year. He's only played center back, I believe, one match. Um, was it two matches ago and was outstanding, but he had a solidified pair with him. You know what I mean? And, and so that's not the guy. So we know Mason Holgate this year has been erratic. He's been overly aggressive. He's been borderline reckless. So one of those two guys need to be partnered with one of the reliable guys in Keenan Mina, if you're not going to play them. Now, that being said, taking a step back, there is a scenario, of course, where those guys are both pretty athletic pretty quick guys where that make makes sense. Right. So then you're thinking, okay, okay, fine. You know, we got Coleman out, right. All right, whatever Dean, you know, he's an automatic. So you're thinking, all right, so, so we're going to go with a more, you know, higher line, more athletic guys in the back. So who's in front of them, you know, that, that would lend itself to some sort of selection. And then you look at the guys in front of them and you're like, you have got to be kidding. Yeah. It's, it looks Tom Davies, Andre Gomez, Decore. James and Gilfie Sigurdsson, the five midfielders, I guess. It, it ended up not being that. Uh, it ended up being a bizarre kind of 4-3-3. With Sig- it was at first, yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah. that got scrapped like within 10 minutes. But to your point, yeah, there is a scenario. You can play two athletic center backs and which allows you to then, you know, hold a higher line, press against Fulham. But you don't set up the rest of your team like that if that's really what the objective is, because you've got Decore coming off 120 minutes midweek in the cup. And then you've got two guys who just and Tom Davies, you know, again, played well in midweek. A lot of guys who just recently got a lot of minutes. And then you got Andre Gomez, who is not particularly mobile. And then James and Sigurdsson as well. Neither very mobile. So if you're setting up to press high, you can't really play the guys that aren't very mobile and, and aren't going to really be able to effectively press. So you end up kind of canceling any potential goodness that might come from that partnership. So it's a really, like I said earlier, head scratching from Carlo. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I don't know what he continues to see in a couple of these guys too, in certain circumstances that he thinks are going to be able to handle things. Like it, it reminds me very much of how he got it wrong against Newcastle, the first match. And we talked about this off air where you've got Andre and Sigurdsson up top. Now in a match where you're going to have the ball most of the time in theory, right? You're going to hold on to the ball. You're going to possess it. Gilfie Sigurdsson is terrible at that. He is not a good possession player. You know, he doesn't show for the ball. Well, um, he's not agile. He's hard to, I mean, he does not receive the ball well at all. And I understand he's an expansive player and he had a great match against Spurs. And I know Carlo thinks he's a good presser. He's not, he may be a good presser for his limited athleticism, but he's not. And to start out this match with him as of like a false nine, Richie on the left and Hamas on the right. It's just, it's absolutely lunacy to me. And even the concept of pressing high against these guys, you saw a little bit, some of it, can you really expect Tom Davies and DeCorey after playing what they played, uh, you know, on the weekend to do that? Uh, and that was a big part of it, too. They didn't have their industry. But, um, you know, let's go to MVP at Phil Addy because I, I think his comment is the right one. It's the same thing. Can we just agree that Gilfie and Gomes both can't start in, in, in the 11? Now, he says one with proper pairing around them is fine, both in creates such a lack of pace that it's almost crippling. What's our take? I'm going to do you one more. You can't play Gilfie, Andre, and James together for sure. I wouldn't play Gilfie at all if I didn't have to. And I know he had a great match against Tottenham, but the only place I play him is in more of a luxury position. You can't have guys like that. And frankly, I thought James was okay today. He had absolutely no help whatsoever. But you can't expect him to be on the right side pressing high. And this just in. They were going to attack down the left. I mean, what did they think we're going to do? If you show up a lineup and Seamus Coleman is on the right and you've got a Godfrey Holgate tandem and James is on the right, what do you think they're going to do? Exactly. I mean, you're, and, you're begging people to attack. Yeah, and and DeCorey normally shades over to help a little bit, but he can't do it all the time. And he's got to be exhausted. And, you know, Seamus did an admirable job chasing around Lookman, but I, I just don't understand the personnel whatsoever. I cannot believe if you're going to press a little bit, like you wouldn't play a Wobie and King. Now, maybe a Wobie got a knock. And I don't think Josh King is particularly good. So to me, a good outcome the rest of this year is that he doesn't play much because he's there for an emergency. But for heaven's sakes, you can't play all those guys together. So I, I agree with, I, I, I just don't, I don't think you can, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I just, I just would love to peep into Carlos head and mind to understand what the heck he was thinking. Yeah. I mean, I think again, in theory, you're think maybe thinking these guys just are, are going to be able to, to work harder off the ball. Thinking I, I that again, if we have the ball, if we're able to retain possession, then you've got some guys who can pick a pass and, and find some space and switch fields. But Fulham just came with 
from the get-go, I mean, within the first two or three minutes, they had two or three really good chances. Like, and they it was, you're on the back foot instantly. Right. And they right. pressed us high. And that's exactly what Newcastle did. And aside that if you're going to let these teams in the relegation zone press you like that, you're going to run into trouble because we don't break pressure well. So you have to kind of start the game on the front foot and push them back and set the tone when you allow them to come on to you so early you're just again you're setting yourself up for failure for the rest of the the match because the team isn't set up to break the press the team isn't set up to play really quickly through the middle and again fulham really shut out they did a good job of of eliminating hamas from getting the ball in dangerous positions and then you go to the other guys you go to gomez you go to davies and even to at times and you're asking them to break down the team by themselves didn't really happen and, and, and i don't think it's something we could have expected to happen no, and I think Fulham set up fairly intelligently. Uh, what I mean yeah. is, you know, they put Ola in, in on the left side, sat down Anthony, Anthony Robinson, who is pretty much a winger and a good one at that, you know, go USA. Yay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and basically had him kind of support an overarching left side attack. And, um, you know, Kenny Tate was in there too. And he, he was hatcheting Dean every chance he got. I mean, I think he had five fouls on Luca Dean uh, and was physical on him, too. And, and Fulham was physical today. They were taking no no anything from us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, that's how they set up. They had those guys. They had Lookman over on the left side. I mean, 51% of their attacks came down the left. Cordova Reed kind of shaded over over that side. Maja came over there to help him out as well. And Lamine is already on that side, and he's a terrific midfielder. Um, Harrison Reed, we made look like I said, Verratti on the pod, you name whatever all action midfielder. He was a man of the match. Um, he was even shading over there too. So they totally overloaded that side and we just could not deal with it whatsoever, but I don't know what else we were expecting. Um, it's, it's just disappointing. And, and then, I mean, then let's start with our tactics, how we came up with our approach. It well, the average positions on here. It's a mess. I mean, look the graphic, if you can look it up as you're listening to this, you have to, because despite the fact that almost all of Fulham's attack came down the left, that's really where most of our players ended up in their average position. If not clustered, it's like this really tightly congested cluster sort of skewing to the, to the, our right-hand side, their left-hand side with like five, let's see, we've got Tom Davies, James, we've got uh, Gomez, Sigurdsson, and we've got, Richie all just basically it clustered in the middle. And then you've got Luca Dean on the left-hand side, completely isolated, but at least getting forward. What we were expecting to happen, what we hoped would happen. There's so many teams that have historically throughout the season gone down the left a lot. And we've let them do that. Fulham, you know that they're going to rely on Adam Lookman to create a lot because since he's come into their team, that's what he's done is he's, provided that little bit of creative spark on the flank and just made it far too easy for them today played right into their hands and this is again one of the problems with having a lack of balance in terms of personnel you know decorey yeah. being over there helps i get it um but hamez being that's why i don't think hamez makes any sense on the right in this particular team you know because he's over there and look if, if he goes into a, a duel he may win it but he's not ranging he's not athletic so it doesn't make any sense for me to play him like that. Now, the good news is we're going to have a bunch of guys back, hopefully, yeah. next week. So that'll be helpful. But, um, you know, one of your favorite things, too, just look at the shot attempts. We got zilch inside the six-yard box, and normally Dom's all in there, partially because we couldn't handle the ball or hang on to it at all. 
But then you look at Fulham. I mean, most of their chances came within that 18. Yeah, and we also had five total shots, two on target, one hit the woodwork, Seamus Coleman. They had 12. So just getting overrun and Fulham's, I, I can't, don't know exactly what the XG is. We have it here. Uh, Fulham had 2.37 versus 0.43 for us. So not only are we not getting shots in good areas, because we haven't been really getting super high shot volumes lately, but we've been finishing at a really high rate, but we didn't really create dangerous chances today, nor did we finish well. So when that dries up, I mean, what are you supposed to do? No, and that's been the fundamental problem with this Everton team for about four or five years now, and we cannot possess the ball intelligently under any pressure whatsoever. Now, we now we talked about this, and we did the massive pod in the summer, right? You know, what do we really need? And we talked about progression and possession, and we got three guys that are really good possession players. Corey's a little sloppy, but, you know, he, he is pretty good possession player. I feel bad because Bamin's out. He was, at least in Germany, very good possession player too. But the other two guys we got, Alon, fantastic possession player, super receiver of the ball, great in tight spaces, and Hummus. And you're just not putting anyone in a position to succeed today. And we miss those guys badly. And then you've got guys like Gilfie who aren't one. And Richarlison, who basically got no touches at all. So let, let's go through the timeline. I think we could talk about the initial setup. And the initial setup was... Gilfie Sigurdsson is kind of a withdrawn, almost like a false nine. Richarlison on the left, fine. That's where he's used to playing. And James on the right. And so Gilfie's the one kind of playing out of position, although we did see that briefly this year. Uh, I guess, was it the cup match, I think? Yeah. I I, I don't know. Anyway, the point is he's not a false nine. I, I don't know what. He literally has no characteristic I can possibly think of that makes sense in a false nine other than if he has the ball settled and he's facing towards the goal, he can play someone through because he is very technical and very good when he has the ball at his feet, but a false nine is normally going to have someone with them. And if he, and, and why would anyone be terrified of being pulled out of space when you literally are not going to have anyone? Hamas is not going to run behind you. Right. So Charleston could. Yeah. He's the only guy. He's the only guy should be concerned about. And now that they came out on the front foot and were beating us so badly that we switched it and put Richarlison up top and almost went into the Christmas tree. You saw Siggy drop deeper. Hamas dropped tighter. Uh, I mean, it, it was probably in like the 15th or the 20th minute when yeah. that happened. And I think that says it all. That's when I you agree. know at this point, Carlo knows, ah, maybe we got this one wrong. Um, so then it's kind of, what do you do from there? Um, and, you know, and the thing is we had, we had a couple chances where maybe it looked like something might happen. Um, but, not much. I mean, really, they pretty much. In fact, the XG that we got, most of it was very late. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the very early, maybe one bright spot, and this is scraping the bottom of the barrel, was there was a point where Tom Davies received it right around midfield and he did a nice like 360 turn, opened himself up, played the through ball to Dean. And that was kind of, the, I think, one of the first instances of Dean and, and Tete coming together. Uh, and he didn't end up even getting completing the pass. So that's how desperate it is, is that one of the notes that I have here was like quarter of an hour gone. And we finally at least have someone trying to break the lines rather than just aimlessly passing it around the back, back and forth. Uh, and again, Fulham did a good job of not really allowing Hamas to come to and receive it to feet in any kind of dangerous positions. But when you have all of those guys average position be in the dead center of the pitch. And yet no one was able to receive the ball there. I think that that speaks volumes as well as your point about if you have to scrap your formation, 10, 15 minutes into the game, uh, 
that's really not a good sign because you're already conceding defeat in some sense. No, and they had a bunch of chances. And and the funniest oh. part, the most ridiculous part was out of nowhere, Seamus Coleman ends up dribbling halfway down the pitch in the 33rd minute. Harrison Reed had that. Really, he really should have done better in the 90th, yeah. 19th. It would have yep. been kind of a capper because he was all over us. The Coleman comes flying in. I don't know why he settled for his left foot. I thought that was a little strange. But it was an okay shot. It pinged off the outside of the post. And you're thinking, wow, we have no business being in this game. But hey, you know, there, there is, if you break the pressure, there's going to be some opportunities. And, you know, we saw against Tottenham midweek where they started to pressure us as well. Not necessarily Jose thing, but, you know, he knows how to play against us. And we broke it, yeah. carrying the ball and dribbling with the ball too. And you just saw none of that. And we limped to halftime. And I'm thinking, how is this game still 0 0? I mean, I, I mean, they had, they had the ball 57% possession, Fulham. They were much better, and they have good attackers, too. So, I mean, if you can't play through the attackers and get out their back line, you're going to be in trouble. We tried pressuring them at times. didn't work at all. I thought the stat that summed up everything is Richarlison had four touches in the first half. Four. But I think you would agree, though, at halftime, we're thinking, wow, this is this is lucky. You know, like, Very lucky. How are, how are we even in this position? You know, like, th- this has actually worked out okay. Yeah, very fortunate to be level at the half. Very fortunate to not be down by two or three at a minimum. And so you're thinking, okay, maybe we can make some adjustments, maybe somehow change the course of this match in the second half. And then we come out, no major changes. Saw a Wobi start to warm up like almost immediately. But then in the 48th minute, we had Josh Maja of Sunderland Till I Die fame, if you've seen that. Uh, he was an upstart young striker before taking a trip to France, before returning back to Fulham, where he was originally. Look, it's a good good buildup, and it's a neat little run off of the back shoulder of Mason Holgate to free himself for that goal, but really just kind of shameful defending all around from Everton on that one. We were like Swiss cheese on that. Yeah. What on earth was that? I still don't know what Mason Holgate's doing there. Like, does he feel the need to come over because it's ball side? Um, he, I mean, he can't sit there and try and make sure that the player doesn't beat him. So you can make a little square pass to him very easily. Uh, I, I don't know. It wasn't just him too. I, the bottom line was that you knew eventually Lookman and someone on that side and, and Coleman was hanging with him. I mean, I thought he was kind of desperate. I mean, it, you know, half the time I felt like he was getting lucky, frankly, uh, yeah. by getting away with some of the defending. And ironically, it wasn't even him necessarily who broke through, but it was just a matter of time before they caved us in on that side. And DeCorey looked maybe a little bit of a step slow or just confused because he had so many people he had to deal with. Yeah, it was just too easy. It was just too easy. And you knew it was coming too, but I really, really had some hope at halftime that we might make some adjustments. Not a single sub, of course. I, I don't know why. I mean, I just there's not much you could do tactically with that lineup with those people. And, you know, and and they and right after the goal, you thought there might be a response from us. Nope, no response whatsoever. Interestingly, Carlo did make two subs about ten minutes after we conceded. Another head scratcher, quite frankly. You bring on Josh King for Tom Davies, so you take out to that point maybe our best performing midfielder. Yeah, and you bring on a striker, and then you take off Seamus Coleman who again, as you said, was kind of hanging by a thread. At least he was playing hard. I mean, at least he was fighting. Yeah. He was fighting, no question. But then you bring in Michael Keane and you push out Mason Holgate to the right side, to right back, where I think, frankly, he's just struggled the last couple of games. Um, 
and you hope that that spurs you on to win, but then just six or seven minutes after that, Maja gets a second, and the game is gone at that point, really. I mean, what else do you say? Subs didn't change the game. When your strikers barely touch the ball, what do you? how are you supposed to score goals? I mean, they were all over us. They were passing rings around us, and we looked – like we, you know, we pass it back and forth. We go Luca Dean over to to Mason Holgate back across the back line, and then we someone would try to just ping a ball through the lines, and Fulham just ate it up. They were just patiently waiting for that. Yeah, there's no chemistry. There's no one to run with the ball at anyone. The only yeah. guy who does it on the team that was on the field was Richarlison, and well, he was up top. So you didn't have that option. Josh King came on. He's supposed to be able to do that. Josh had a great night tonight. He had five touches. And three of them were bad touches. That's not really his fault. I, I personally don't think Josh King is a terrific player or anything. But again, I mean, geez, we were so lifeless. You'd think that we would have at least given someone else a chance. Awobi must have a knock. I mean, he's about the best dribbler so far this year in the league. I can't help to think that he wouldn't have made a difference. But okay, yeah, the Suns make no sense whatsoever. I mean, Coleman at least showed some impetus getting forward, showed some courage today, some fight. Was he great? No. Was he outmatched by Lookman? Yeah, pretty much. But I mean, Mason Holgate, regardless of being maybe a superior athlete, certainly having more size, maybe some more pace, has become so reckless and so poor in his decision making. He, you know, it's so sad because last year, although I do not buy this narrative that he was our best defender last year, and I'm tired of hearing it because I don't think it was true. Not at all. Um, he did do some things well and he showed some composure and some maturity. And you thought, wow, you know, it's, it's, and maybe it's just the mindset of playing that position, but when he's been at right back, he has been reckless. He's made bad decisions and he used to make bad decisions at center half too. I don't understand the subs at all. I don't understand the subs at all. I mean, those are two guys that maybe at least had some impetus that could have maybe turned the game around. And I know Davies is probably exhausted and everything, but he wasn't showing it and you got Allen coming back. So I, I, I just, I can't, I'm trying to think of what scenario that would make sense. I don't get it, man. I mean, we talked about what a spark James Coleman was against Spurs coming yeah. in and actually dribbling at people. And then you remove that, you replace it with Mason Holgate, who for all, again, for all his athletic attributes, looks very, very uncomfortable on the right-hand side, despite having played there for a decent amount, especially yeah. when he goes forward. He looks so uncomfortable with putting the ball across, even though he received it many times wide and could have pinned crosses in that he just he just elected not to. And he, he doesn't really show the, the impetus to beat a man, where Seamus at least shows that. We know that he's in the twilight of his career, but it's just baffling when you're looking for attacking options. I mean, Josh King is supposed to be that, but the, the Tom Davies sub made very, made very little sense to me. I just, I, I'm kind of at a loss for words because it's just, it's such a U-turn from where we were midweek with at least, you know, lighting it up, scoring a lot. The defense was bad, but we didn't even get the good, the good offense to go with the bad defense. The Holgate one even ticks me off in a way because you basically brought Keen back in there to stabilize the back line. Well, isn't that an indictment of the two center halves that are in there right now? And Godfrey is not innocent in this either. You know what I mean? I understand no. he's a great athlete and he's really done a good job in here. And I can't totally blame him. And the thing is, Holgate actually did have some good moments being aggressive, too. Yeah. But, that, but you can't do that in that position is the problem. You know what I mean? I mean, he was good at going up into the play and winning the ball. Great job. But, you know, you need to do more than that. You can't be so lacking in positional awareness and whatnot. But you indict the back line by bringing Keen in to supposedly stabilize it, I'm assuming here. Sure. And you pull Coleman? Why? Pull one of the guys responsible for 
you know, leaving guys yeah. running you ragged. It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I just I hated this. I think the sub sent also the total wrong message. But that's another story. And furthermore, I, I would say that Michael Keane, despite being brought in as center back, looked one of our more adventurous players in terms of playing the ball forward. At least he was trying to like ping stuff long to little uh, impact or little effect, but at least he was trying it. It just looked like the type of game where no one really wants to take it by the scruff of the neck. No one wants to be, be the one to create that individual moment of brilliance. And that's what we've been relying really heavily on Hamas for all season. And he's getting kicked all over the place and ends up potentially tweaking his knee or his ankle eventually and getting yanked later on in the match. So hopefully he's okay, but he ends up in the 68th minute being taken off in favor of Bernard, who of course scored the winner midweek, but at this point it's almost, and there was still, the game wasn't totally gone at that point. I mean, we still could have maybe if we'd could scored have, one, maybe, I mean, maybe. I guess, but I mean, look, I we, know, go, I know. we go down two nil in the 65th uh, Maja scores, but I mean, really re I thought Holson did pretty well on Harrison Reed's deep shot. I mean, he, it was cracked. Yeah. And it was going in and he seemed like he deflected it off into the post. But what I can't, I don't understand is you bring Keen to stabilize the back line and Godfrey. It's not so much on him because I think the shot came somewhat near him or he thought it might come near him. And he kind of reacted in that way, but both him and Keen just stared at the ball. Why Josh kind of waltzed by them and tapped it in. And, you know, I guess the question is, could you react quickly enough? But it just summed up the whole Match, you know, second of the ball every time. I mean, that was the other thing, too. You know, every time we'd hoof the ball up to Richie, who's not going to go over those guys and win, where was where was the winning on the second ball? Well, it was nowhere. Why? Because you have Gilfie Sigurdsson and Hamas sitting behind him. I mean, it just was flawed all the way around. And if you didn't have him, then you had Andre Gomes coming in there. And is Andre going to dash up there and win a second ball? I mean, kudos to Andre. I think he only had one foul today. Congratulations. I actually wish he'd have had more. Um, I can't believe I'm saying that, but you're right. Hamas got kicked, went off. Bernard came in. Wobi must have had a knock because that, that would have been a yeah. better sub. And I mean, he did fine. He took care of the ball. But I mean, other than that, I mean, literally there was one moment, maybe the whole second half of the match or a whole end of that match that I thought we looked. I mean, we were paying the ball around, you know, with no purpose um, was the 70 and the 78th minute. Andre actually served up a really nice ball. And Josh King, one of his, I guess this didn't count as one of his five touches because he was offsides, knocked it in the net and uh, jumped too early. And yeah, that was it. That was basically the extent of it, other than us pinging the ball around and a shoving match that was just pathetic considering, oh, now we're going to fight for it. And look at the XG, man. Yeah, I mean, look, it was one of those moments when when King puts it in the back of the net. I thought, okay, maybe it's recent history. But we, we played so poorly for like 85% of the Manchester United match and yet turned it on for those short stretches and got those quick goals. I thought, okay, maybe we can just get a couple quick ones and equalize and maybe, maybe, maybe steal a point. And then he's offsides and it was the right call. No question about it. Yeah, it was. And that's all hope's gone. And so we just sort of saw it the rest of the game, accepted meekly our first loss to Fulham and home loss to Fulham in Premier League history and top flight history, excuse me, not just Premier League. And now we look forward to two massive matches in the next six days against Man City midweek. Wow. And then we've got the Derby on Saturday. So there's no time to rest. There's no time to hang our heads. Squad have to quickly, quickly regroup and focus. And what I would say is, I guess the only silver lining for me is that hopefully this spurs some sort of response. 
but I'm not altogether all that optimistic. I mean, after. Yeah. I, the problem is, I'm just saying the problem is it's more important to get three points against Fulham than it is to get yeah. a result against Man City and Liverpool. I mean, yes, it's more important for us just to be able to tell those guys from across the park that, you know, go stick it. I, I get, I don't, I'm not. So let me dial that back here. I understand the importance of the Derby. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in terms of philosophically, it's more important to take three points. And there have been too many bad performances against sides that aren't good enough. And a lot of it, frankly, is tactical and personnel selection. And as good as Carlo has been in many games and really kind of driven us on to do well, there's been some real gassers. And I, I just can't help but think that he got it a lot wrong today. However, one of his big positives is people want to play for him. He's good at attracting talent. You know, he makes us a more viable place to bring talent to. And I'm excited about transfer windows with him for that reason. And I think he does a good job of identifying what we need. But today, it's one thing to get it wrong. It's another thing also to not have a ton of the right players to play in the right way. You know what I mean? So, so if you're thinking about it, okay, so Tom Davies is exhausted. Corey's exhausted, but you need energy and impetus in the middle of midfield. Well, who are you going to go to? Fabian Delft, decent player, hurt again. Yeah, I mean, really, you know, Alon is not ready to play 90 minutes. I mean, he was on the bench, I guess. Uh, it's, it's not good, you know, but Mean is still out. So uh, there's the squad is still in progress, but yeah, but it's still no excuse for that today. Any last words before we get into individual performances? No, let's just talk because I think a lot of people point out, made, made some really good points about just the personnel, the performances, and the match as a whole. So I'd prefer to just defer to yeah. everyone than my further incoherent ramblings. Yeah, let's go through the comments. So so I posed the question, serious question, did anyone from Everton play well? I'll give credit to, to Rachel uh, at Blue Girl 1878. Nope, just all varying shades of sloppy bleep. That's that's pretty well put, actually, you know. Um, it's good to see that Rachel, in between cocktails and reading five bazillion books, that she has time to tweet us back and declare <laughs> how bad we were. So thanks, Rachel. We appreciate your contributions. But yeah, I mean, not too many. We had a couple guys here, though. Uh, Greg James at GJS41991. Probs Olsen, to be fair. Yeah, thought Robin was okay. Outperformed his XG again, Ryan. That's what. That's all I'll say. I Dude, he's, he's been a really good loan signing. And I, I still just don't get why people... I mean, you know, the comments about Pickford. If Pickford would have given up that many goals in this many games. Yeah, but man, Olsen got shelled against Spurs. I mean, he should have given up a lot more than four. He did well. Like, wh where is this? There's nothing out in the ether that, I mean, it depends on the quality of the shots you face, man. You know what I mean? You can't, I mean, are you a great goalie if you sit back and, you know, twirl your hair all match and never face a shot on goal? Yay, shut out. No, come on, man. Anyway, sorry. Continue. No, and then we had uh, at EFC Shane. He said, Yay. no, Davies. Davies attempted to be good, fair, and Keane did fine when he came on. I also agree. The rest, to a man, were atrocious. And this is, again, it's like one of those matches where just the collective group, failure of the collective group rather than any one particular individual. It's like when one guy's bad, I mean, we've had matches where guys have been okay and some have been good, some have been less so. Today it was just, there was really no one good. And you can say Olsen, but he really only had one save one or two if it weren't if it weren't for the first couple minutes Fulham were frankly very wasteful early on in the match and it could have been a lot worse we then yeah. had uh Stephen Paris at Paris six said uh, in response to you Hamas went on the ball did actually try to do things but was hampered by a lack of anything else around him him and Davies the only two that offered anything I agree 
I mean, look, Hamas had some pretty slick passes actually for a while, and mm. he has the courage to hold up the ball. So, um, yeah, I, it's just you got to let him do that. I mean, that's his positive attributes. You know, you want that. You got to surround him with the players and the industry around him that that helps. Uh, Stephen Williams at Steve M Williams. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought Coleman at least tried to get us up the pitch. A lot of trying here. That's that's when you know you've played badly, when like yeah. the guys that tried hard are the ones that played yes, well. Yes, exactly. Uh, at least first half, but it's painful to see how he has regressed. I think everyone recognizes the fact that we need uh, we need a more permanent solution, I think, on the right side, uh, especially in the back. I think beyond the fellows that we mentioned, I think everyone falls into, you know, we try and do the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think everyone's either in the bad or the ugly. Richarlison had 15 touches, and he was bullied by their center backs. No question. He was trying to run behind sometimes, though, too. We just couldn't hit him. Weren't looking you know? for him. Weren't, weren't no. even looking for him. <laughs> not enough. Not enough. Like, if you're not going to be able to hold the ball in possession, you better try and play him over the top. I mean, what the heck, why not? Um, we talked about Josh King's fantastic um, performance today. You know, it's, it's not hard. I mean, he wasn't in long enough and didn't touch the ball. Godfrey Holgate. You want to start off on these two? The dynamic yeah. duo today? Yeah. So, I mean, Godfrey had a tackle for clearances, one for aerials. No one else had more than two. But to me, I think we talked about the formation kind of being the start of our woes, but it's the consistent shop and change of the back line. It's like we never really seem to keep the same four guys in place for more than a game or two. And I think this was our, oh, well, let's try mason and godfrey together and see how it goes and obviously we found out uh didn't go too well not really accustomed to playing together at least at center back and neither were all that good they didn't look all that comfortable certainly not as capable in possession as either mean kina or wow keen or mina excuse me yeah uh yeah, so it was just kind of chaotic and, and very disjointed between the two of them, and neither of them were able to carry the other. No, and, and Holgate had some ups and downs. I mean, he was seven for seven in tackles. That is a massive number for a center half, but that also speaks to the fact that he was being too aggressive and probably reckless at times, you know? Um, and again, they just weren't a good pairing today, you know? And he got beat on the first goal and, you know, gave the ball away, you know, at least once very badly and um, just didn't do much better when he went out to right back, I, I don't think. Um, Decore, I can't believe I'm saying this too, cause he's been so good for <laughs> us, but he just didn't offer that much. You know, he ran a bit, he took care of the ball. He had some takeaways, but not like he normally does. Um, and Fulham were constantly attacking on his side. I mean, yeah, part of it was him covering for people, but you know, he's got to bear, you know, share some of that blame. Um, but I wouldn't put him in the ugly column. I think a no. couple other individuals, I probably would though, sadly. Yeah. So we had Luca Dean here. Uh, Tete, who was his obviously opposite man on the Fulham side, four interceptions, five fouls, and can basically bottle Dean the entire match. What I will say about Dean is despite the fact that he was 0 for 9 in crosses, no key passes, and had 81 touches, he, he seemed very frustrated, but he also seemed to be trying very hard, perhaps too hard for the entire game. He was pretty alone at times, especially when we moved Richarlison to play at striker. And when he's the only guy on the left-hand side, we know he can put a cross in, but there was no one in the box and we lacked the size to really be dangerous in the air, which is where those crosses would even be meaningful. And so he tried hard, but I think, I think frankly, Teddy got in his head and, just 
early in the match and then he really wasn't able to kind of get it back together pull himself together for the remainder of remainder of the the 90 minutes yeah it's just a remarkable for him as quality as he is as a player to have that little output in 81 touches i mean what can you say and then there's andre uh, you know andre has looked a lot better with the ball aggressive beating people off the dribble Again, one out of three tackles, one interception, one awful shot. I mean, he he went back to the old oh. Andre in the final third today. Like, I swear to God, it's not like, remember those electrical dog fences? Yes. Where you put the little prongs on, by the way. And by the way, those things do hurt. And that's a long story. <laughs> that's an, that's, that did happen to me once when I was younger. That's story for another day. But anyway, the point is, every time he gets in the final third in the past, now he's had a couple great crosses this year that must have pulled out of the ether or whatnot. But he gets, it's like the barrier. It's like he triggers, you know, he like shocks up or something like a dog and, you know, going outside the electrical dog fence, which is the worst too. Cause then they never want to come back in. And you got to like take the collar anyway. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Right. So, I mean, the one time he had one where he drifted in, we want a ball back when the pressure actually worked and he's waltzing in and he's, you know, 20 yards out. And you're thinking, Oh, come on, Andre, you got enough skill to go, have a go with this. And I mean, it was probably closer to a throw in for Fulham than it was going on, on target. It's just one of those moments where you're just like, God, Andre just is not a final third tar- type player. And he's not good in our final, our defensive third either, but he normally is at least good in transition and stuff. And he was none of that today. It was just a regression, unfortunately. And it was disappointing. I mean, he had, he had 74 touches, one dribble. He got dribble passed twice. No surprise there. He was fouled three times, but he just, he did nothing with it really. And then there's Gilfie. I, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, what's to say about Gilfie? I mean, I know people really complain about him, but he was absent. Uh, he wasn't yeah. dangerous. He had a, he had dropped back so far once we started making those subs to try and dictate stuff from the back. And yeah, he sprayed the ball around a couple of times and played some nice long passes to Luca Dean. But we're down 2 nil at that point, man. He needed to get closer to the goal and actually do something. And he did absolutely nothing. Needed a lot more from him today. And I guess like the, the thing that he has contributed in, which was, I think, perfectly encapsulated in Wednesday's match is that he is very much a guy who will get you a moment or two of individual brilliance that will create something, create a goal, create by either by himself, he'll score a a worldy from outside the box, or he'll pick a really nice pass and put someone through. And he could go 89 and a half minutes of the rest of the match and do very little that seems to impact the game in any way pointy Sigurdsson I'm surprised I don't see that you know his infamous pointing look he's a he's a leader in the locker room but he just goes missing far too often on the pitch for me and and that's not to take away from the last couple games because he has had some okay respectable form recently but it's just again it's too bad to see these guys who we thought were turning a corner just go back to the the mediocre if not worse that we've known from them basically a lot of the time they've been in an Everton shirt. So I've always liked Gilfie kind of as a player prior to Everton. And I appreciate what he does, but Mm. if we're making a transition into a team that really wants to play at the highest level, as much as I never wanted to admit it, because I liked him as a player, he's not good enough. And what worries me is that Carlo really seems to select him a lot more than I think he probably should. And when we heard talks about an extension, like, no, man, No, 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 absolutely not. Like that type of player is not the right player for us. Even if you just send him off and don't go with him and we make a move in the summer for like a right-sided attacker or something, a can be the backup there. 
James can play in the middle too. Those should be your guys or get someone young. And like, I look at the difference that Daniel Podence made in wolves this year, you mm. know, young athletic, he gets on the ball. He, I know Evertonians think that there's only one type of number 10 and they have to hold the ball and things like that. That's absolutely not true. But, but, he's just not, he's not the right guy to do that. Nick De La Cruz, we got linked with him. He's the type of energetic guy that we could use to come off the bench and really shake things up in that kind of position and play in between the lines. Please, Carlo, please do not, do not ask this guy to sign an extension. It's not the right move. He's not the right fit for us. And we can do so much better. And it makes me nervous. And there's absolutely no way he should be on the same field at any, at, with Hamas at any one time. It makes no sense to me whatsoever okay i'm done with my look rant. At, i don't want to pile on six it worries me though i really James. don't it, it, it does it does it does. not no, i i think it does it, and at the same time it's so perplexing because it's not just like it's carlo ancelotti he is just the most recent since ronald kuman was per, he purchased gilfie sigurdsson from swansea where big sam loved him redacted yeah silva ah. loved him <clears throat> not supposed to say his name it's been every manager has put him in the team week after week, despite from the fans perspective, his performance is getting worse and worse or consistently being really bad. So we're all like, what, what does, what do these guys see in, in Gilfie? And we know that he will create goals or has, but didn't today, but it just seems like, as you said, Ryan, we can do far, far better. And I really think in some ways, Gilfie has always been kind of a victim of his price tag where we pay oh, yeah. too much for him and the wages yeah. have just taken away and, and just he's it's too much. It's too much. He for for 50K a week, maybe you could say, OK, that's a decent squad player for whatever the heck he's on. And for 40 million and a transfer fee, not nearly good enough. Um, and, and it's sad to say because he seems like a likable enough guy, but I just. If we sign, if we give him a two, three year extension, Ryan, I mean, the number of players that we could sign with that, with those wages, the quality, the improvements we can make and play guys who are better suited for that position that are already in the squad in that position. Well, I, well, if we do sign an extension, actually probably help us from a financial fair place. True. Yes. Um, and he won't be making as much. I mean, obviously we'll drop his wage and extend his contract. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that it'd be better just to sell him. You know, I mean, Al yes. Halal came in for him. He would do really well in some of these smaller teams. And I think he'd do very well in a team that kind of counters more, you know, that only gets a few moments necessarily and, and is not expecting him and the team to hold on to the ball. You know, uh, he's just not a good possession player. And I, I just can't imagine him ever being anyway. Um, we already talked, I think, about some of the other stuff. So uh, maybe let's get into some of the general commentary. How about that? Let's see. At praise underscore Ola. <clears throat> Usually I'd say we dropped down to our opponent's level, but Fulham outplayed us. Yes, they did. They were direct and quick while we could barely string any passes together. It always seems like the person up top is stranded and there's no one in the middle to line the play. I agree with them. But one thing that has been disturbing to me for, for years, and I, am a, I, I support Marcel Brands. I think he's a good director of football. But one thing that does concern me a little bit is the lack of obvious attempts to acquire athleticism. Now, Decore has helped. Ben Godfrey, clearly very athletic, way more athletic than I didn't even realize quite how athletic he is. He is quite athletic. Um, <clears throat> kudos to those acquisitions. You know, Jared Brinkwaith, very good athlete. And you could see on film, he just jumps out and he's so big and so fast. Um, so maybe, maybe I'm overreacting because then you look at the prior window too. Moise Keen, good athlete. Awobi, good athlete. Bameen, really good athlete. You know, absolute monster. Um, 
so we, we just need more of it. You know, so if you replace guys like Andre, <clears throat> Gilfi, guys with good athletes, look at Fulham, though. I mean, Fulham's weak in the back, and they haven't been good this year, but they have a lot of good athletes today. They were way more athletic than us. I mean, way more athletic than us. We, we need both. You know what I mean? If, if, we, if you truly want to be an elite team and you got all the money to spend, you're not just getting the athletic guys. You're not just getting the skilled guys. You're getting the guys that have both, and we need to do that, and that we just don't have enough of them. Totally agree. Just to keep on moving down the list, we had uh, at Brian Lancet. Carlo's getting a lot of stick for this one, but not sure it's fair. Injuries and fitness killing an already thin squad. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think that the injuries, you can only lean on it for so long, but getting Allen back, I think maybe the only bright spot to see him return to the squad sheet. Hopefully he'll be back in for Manchester City at midweek. Seems like um, Dom's not that banged up too. Yeah, that's is, also good. Which is really important, but you know, I... Still, still, I don't care how many injuries you have. No, I mean, look, you sub guys on. Like, I I'm sorry, I, 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 I don't get it. I, James, Andre, and Siggy all on the same side, and Siggy as a false nine. I, you know, by all accounts, Carlo really liked Josh King and was one of the ones that pushed for him. Then, and I don't, again, I, I've said my piece on Josh King. I think he'll be okay for us as a backup. Play him. I, I, yeah. I, I totally see that was my big gripe was like, look, Richarlison just ran his butt off midweek, give Josh King a start. At least he's got, you know, a little bigger, maybe a little stronger could perhaps be more useful in the air. I don't know, but the, it's no matter who you play, if they're going to get 12, 13 touches throughout 90 minutes, they're going to struggle to make an impact. And then we had at BB underscore proud of the Atlanta Evertonians, the Atlanta Toffees. Team that elevates against a team that drops to competition standard, limited crisp passing, searching for something, but not knowing what we were looking for. I think that's pretty on the nose. Just looked like a squad that, that were constantly trying to figure out how the heck they were going to break down this Fulham side and never really even had a clue how to do it. Hey, kudos to Atlanta United for finalizing the Santiago Sosa deal. Uh, yes. By the way, yeah, Everton was after for, for a while. Yeah. All right, you know, who knows? Maybe that'll be his pathway to Europe. And for my boy Robbie Merch from the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, man, I'm telling you, don't <laughs> sleep on him. <laughs> they got something to look forward to this year. But anyway, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, searching for something. But I, I just think that's the problem, you know, with those people in there. I mean, you know, this sport is very much about solving problems on the pitch. And I, I really think the subs in particular, you took off two of our problem solvers and replace them with people that were creating more. I mean, Keen, Keen did fine. In the juxtaposition of that with the midweek, when the subs dramatically changed the game in our favor, oh, yeah. I think, right. So Great it's point. like, you know, managers don't get it right all the time. And look, who are we to criticize one of the greatest living managers in world football? But you look at those decisions and you're like, there has to have been better options. I think that's all it is. It's like we had, we have the personnel on the bench that we know have the ability to affect the game in different ways. And we didn't bring those guys on or use them from the get go. So either they're injured or Carlo made a decision that they weren't the best fit. And we feel it wasn't the right choice. But anyway, moving on, we then had at EFC showtime. We aren't a Europe team today is where we fully realized it. We just don't have the depth, the quality, or the fight up front to be a team that competes for trophies. Same old, same old. And even when we get our hopes up as fans, in the end, nothing ever changes. While I really... My problem is the doom and gloom every time. It's like when we win, okay, we're on the cusp of Europe. When we lose, we have no hope of Europe ever again. I just can't 
let my emotions like ride this roller coaster anymore. Look, we're still two, we still have two matches in hand. And if we win both of them, we can go up to like fourth place. So it, and just cause we lose to bad teams, everyone in the league is losing to bad teams this season. So it's not like we're in isolation, the only team dropping points. Yes. It's frustrating, but that's just the way the league is this year. It's like parody. Like you really, we haven't seen for a long time and teams beating teams. They have no business. West Brom, who are hopeless and an absolute lock to go down, got a draw against United today. Should have won. Should have won. Exactly. They had so many chances today. It's unbelievable, you know, because of that genius manager they have that I will go <laughs> unnamed. But yeah, notice, by the way, what they did is they they acquired on loan, I think, Embe Diagne, the center forward from Galatasaray, who we were actually linked with at one point. They played him. You know, I mean, if you're going to get a guy, I understand that we don't maybe have as many holes as they do, but you know, what's the point of getting Josh King if you're not going to play him? Um, but but look, let, let's be honest. We aren't a Europe team. Eh. So, so look, we thought if we didn't have major injury issues, we'd be, what did we say? The beginning of the year, we're like, we're shooting for six. Shooting for six, right? Yeah. And we thought, you know, six or seventh is probably realistic because the jump to six would have been, you know, substantial. But we thought with the right acquisitions and a little bit of luck, we could have it. We've definitely had some fortune this year. No question about it. We've... It, some of it's been tactically generated. And while Carlo has had a lot of success kind of bunkering in and playing good disciplined shape-based defense and, and football, um, you know, he hasn't done very well from an expansive standpoint. You're right. We don't have the depth or quality to win a bunch of trophies. Well, okay. that that's Those are two different standards too. You know what I mean? Right. And guess what? Things can happen in a cup competition. And if anything's Carlo has shown, that he wins cups. You know, he maybe doesn't have the greatest record in the league. I mean, he's won plenty of league titles, but he excels in cup-based competitions. I mean, he's won the Champions League three times. Um, At, let's see, Taylor Platt at CT Platt 2. An uninspired garbage match where the closest we got was Seamus Coleman turning back the clock. Tough to pick out who the worst was, but Holgate's decision-making and passing in the first half, in addition to not tracking Maja, for the first goal, take the cake for me. And then he finishes off classic, which <laughs> I don't know what that means, Taylor. But that's, I've, I've found it amusing. Um, Everton that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's only so many times that you can say that we're absolutely just a hot mess today. Yeah. Um, boy, it was dis- what, you know, you're really putting a lot of pressure on yourself as a club now if you're expecting to go in and, and take points off Man City. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, if we play our cards right, you know, Liverpool's down. You know, I mean, this is the time to to beat them. I don't buy this garbage, though, that this is going to be our one chance to be. What are you talking about? Our yeah. one chance? We're not getting worse. And I mean, right. that that's where I have an issue with hope. You know, it's one thing. And it's one we talked about this in the pod. It's one thing to say, look, I think this is a six, seven place team, you know, um, with a little fortune and, and a lot, you know, some not as many injuries because it's been tough for us this year. Um, but that's now, you know. That doesn't mean that we're not optimistic for the future. Um, but the bottom line is we're going to have to be a lot smarter than these other teams as we build build, build the team. And, and you can't have a circumstance like this where we're missing a couple guys and we just go all to heck. But in Carlo's Whoa. defense, well, I mean, he's trying to make use of guys that he didn't necessarily give the A-OK on. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there's an article midweek where he, he talked about how impressed he was with brands and getting Ben Godfrey and how impressed he was with Godfrey. Um, which again is more illustration that Carlo does not buy the players folks. So stop thinking that. he doesn't, <laughs> but surely he will, you know, brands like anything else. Um, 
and actually a bunch of people have posted this recently. Um, Reading put something online in LinkedIn that showed like their recruitment process and how they then, you know, take their kind of uh, targets and walk them through with the head coach and the head coach knows some of them already and things like that. So the point I'm trying to make is that <clears throat> Carlo clearly is a good judge of what we need as a club. I think um, he has been in the past for sure. And um, you know, you got to hope that that at a minimum is going to make things better. But look, if he's at least got guys that he gave the okay and the rubber stamp on, guys he's familiar with that he knows how to use, you know, he doesn't have to try and make do with the guys that he's got. And um, we still got a lot of, a lot of cast offs, you know what I mean? Some of these guys brands didn't even buy. Exactly. I mean, when we get to a point when the majority of the squad is brands guys, and then layered additionally on top of that, most of the guys in the squad are Carlo guys. Yeah. I mean, look, if I thought this was the best Everton were ever going to be, I'd probably just stop watching and call it a day. <laughs> I do believe that this, and I'm being facetious there, but I do think that still the, the club as a whole are on the right track. And it's easy to get caught up in individual results and the ups and downs of a season. Look, we could very well turn up against Man City. I'm, they're a buzzsaw right now. Like, I'm not excited to be playing them and I'm not optimistic, but there's no reason that we couldn't see a dramatically different team in performance against city than we did against Fulham. It's going to be a different game. We're going to be on the ropes. Probably they're going to be encouraged to sit back and soak up pressure. It'll be a different match. And so we've, 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 I think acquitted ourselves against the top of the league for the most part, quite well since Carlo came in and really the failures as they have always been with Everton are against the size that we quote unquote should beat, but it's the Premier league. And on any given day, teams can give you a rough time. Look at some of the results that have happened. So I still think that sixth place is more than achievable with the way other teams are dropping points around us. It's not like we're in isolation. So I'm hopeful that sixth place is still on the cards and I'd be really disappointed if we don't get it, but it's time's running low, but there's still plenty of season left and a lot of time to get guys back and healthy and contributing. Yeah. We don't know what we're going to look like until all these guys come back and there's still a handful of them. Um, and you know, you got to expect some injuries here or there, but um it will be nice too when the fixtures slow down a little bit. Yes. Because that, that's part of the challenge, you know, because you can't go in there with the same kind of lineups. And we don't have a squad right now where we've got two guys at every position that have some similarities. You know what I mean? So you can kind of play a consistent way. You know, you plug out a couple of pieces, you plug guys back in that at least are maybe a little more inconsistent, but at least equivalent pieces. You know, you look at that midfield today and then you mix them in with James and Sigurdsson and God, God forbid we ever have a midfield ever again. And look, last couple of years, we've had lacked athleticism. God forbid we ever have that again. Having some young guys that can run and move, you know, things will be better. So oh, anyway, it sounds so nice. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? But either way, I know we have a tough one coming up, but you're right. You know, if we play a disciplined game, we're going to at least make it tough on those guys and then on to the derby. On to the Derby indeed. That's going to do it for us today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you had a good Valentine's Day, a good weekend. Besides Everton ruining it as they so often do. If you enjoyed the show, please do check out our social media and uh, all of our channels where you can find the pod. Join our Discord. All of those links can be found at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. Also, Give Toffee TV a subscription. We will be releasing content for Toffee TV USA. We have a bunch of episodes out with them already. So like and subscribe Toffee TV. Otherwise, thanks for listening. And until next time, up the Toffees. <laughs>